Good to be with you once again. So I've got one slide to show you. Kind of blurry, but that's because it's like this tiny picture that I had to blow up this big. Well, in case you're wondering about New Year's celebrations all around the world, what do other countries do to celebrate New Year's? Well, let me enlighten you a little bit. Maybe you know these things. In China... The Chinese have a unique way of celebrating New Year where uh, every front door of a house is painted in red, which is symbolic of happiness and good fortune. They hide all the knives for the day so that no one cuts him or herself because that may actually impact negatively on the entire family in terms of good luck for the coming year. So you may want to think about painting your front door red. Well, maybe it's too cold to do that today, but we'll pass on that. In Germany, no need to get out the fortune cookies. Lead is the object of choice to determine your future. Germans pour molten lead into cold water, and the shape that that it takes after predicts the future. Heart shapes are, are symbolic of marriage. Round shapes denote good luck. And anchor shapes tell you that you need help. I love this one in Spain. In Spain, there's a New Year's tradition for good luck, and it revolves around grapes. If you can manage to stuff 12 grapes in your mouth at midnight, you've achieved good luck for the next year. (laughs) You may also choke if you're not careful, so... Anyway... How should Christians celebrate the new year? Well, I believe by the title of my message this morning, looking back and then looking ahead. Before we go further, let's just ask God for his blessing upon myself and upon you. Uh, I'll just add my prayers to those prayers that were prayed as well. Let's pray. Father, you know that we live in busy times, but you call us to come to you in the midst of them, You call us to times like this where we're to set aside the things that are urgent to rest in that which is necessary. Your presence. Your word. And I pray that you would feed our faith, starve our doubts concerning your great love for us and faithfulness to us. Pray that you would speak through me and teach through your spirit. We pray and ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is 2 Peter, and chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and through Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control 
perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. He has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You ever look back at uh, a year that has gone by and wonder whatever happened to the resolutions that you might have made. Oftentimes we forget the things we resolve to do or do better. Uh, Like that guy who made himself a promise that he was going to eat less junk food and go to the gym five times a week. That's right, five times a week. Uh, One would be a lot for me. Okay. And as the month of January went by, he began to wane a little here and there in his resolutions until finally he uh, settled for just kind of driving by the gym (laughs) on his way to take out fast food stuff, right? Started with great intentions and then plummeted. Looking back at our failures and missteps doesn't always equal uh, that we're going to do better. And uh, when we look and move ahead with our lives, we kind of have to have a plan. And I think that is true in every arena of life, and it is especially true when it comes to the spiritual life. Some of us keep trudging along, doing the same old, same old with our lives for the Lord. Or as Charles Swindle puts it, the church should never be a place where Christians sit, soak, and sour for Christ. Right? (laughs) Never quite... Uh, stretching ourselves, never quite growing more, and always feeling like we've peaked for the Lord, and now we're just resolved to live in the spiritual valleys and plateaus of our lives. And that wouldn't be as dangerous to do if we didn't live in such dark and challenging times, um, and uh, times that are challenging to our faith and allegiance to Christ, right? If these things didn't exist, then perhaps it wouldn't matter if we were mediocre. But this was something that the Apostle Peter had a concern for when it came to the early church and the first Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire in the first century, as I said. And uh, so we're going to be looking at this passage that I read this morning in the New Testament, Second Peter. And as we said, the letter is written by the Apostle Peter in the first century. The church has just been born, and it's scattered throughout the empire. The empire geographically was huge. No other armies, no other uh, um, people had, had conquered such land like the Romans. And they were scary. And uh, they knew what they were doing. And they were good at war, uh, good at winning battles, good at building roads, weapons, and things like that. They were a, a humongous empire. And the Christians are this, are this baby church that's just sprouted out in the middle of all that. And God's people were facing a lot of persecution. But more than that, as we'll see, in 1 Peter, Peter was encouraging the Christians in that letter by telling them, you know, hang on, be faithful, heaven is ahead, don't be worried when enemies malign you, 
right? He was writing to a very discouraged kind of crowd. But then we come to Second Peter, and it has a different tone to it. There was still persecution going on, but now Peter's focusing on the poison within the church, false doctrine and teaching. Perhaps the bane of Christianity, right, for over 2,000 years. False teaching and false doctrine. And um, in particular, in this time, uh, there were Gnostics, there were Docetists, there were Libertine, there were Christian Gnostics, there were Jewish Gnostics, and they all had their own version of the gospel. And they were coming into the churches. And just think about this. These are brand new Christians, right? Fresh out of the crate. And they're going, huh? The apostles are saying this, and you're saying that, and you said Jesus said that, but you said he didn't. What's the truth? And they're coming in and jockeying for position in the hearts and lives of these brand new Christians. And they were promoting immoral living and saying that certain scriptures were not inspired of the Lord that the apostles were using. And if you do not think that that's happening in branches of Christianity today, you have been living under a rock. It is still happening, right? It's still happening. But that's what was happening back then. And Peter's main point in writing his second letter to the church was to encourage them to grow in their faith and to persevere so that they as Christians could stand strong against the presence of these false teachers in their midst. And so that was his emphasis in writing. Second Peter was written shortly before his, Peter's death, and he didn't die of natural causes or of illness. He was martyred for his faith, and he saw it coming. And as you read First Peter, you kind of see within his words that he saw it coming. And tradition tells us that when it came time for Peter to die, he wanted to be crucified upside down. So you take the cross and turn it upside down and Peter's head's down at the ground and, and he's dying that way because he didn't feel worthy to die upright on the cross like his Lord did. And how did a guy, here's a question, how, how did a guy who was a simple fisherman come to die in such an amazing manner? Well, the Romans surely took note of the fact that Peter was a follower of Christ. But before all that was soon to happen, Peter had a concern. And it wasn't for himself. It wasn't for his welfare and impending death, but rather for the church, for you and I today from a way back distance, right? And for believers, of course, he was writing to in his day, his audience. He knew he was passing the torch, as it were, to the believers and churches sprawled around this humongous empire who were worshiping Jesus and preaching the gospel and serving the Lord. And in that light, he wanted to encourage them, to warn them, exhort them, to keep on keeping on for the Lord, to stay and stand strong in the faith taught by the apostles in the face of not only persecution. So they're battling persecution. They could die for their faith, for their witness, but also for false teachings, right? They had to stand against these things. So they're being threatened with death, and they're being confused by all sorts of teachings. And yet they're trying to worship Jesus in the midst of all these things. So this is what's going on. The Roman Empire lasted about a thousand years, but the last few years of it were particularly corrupt. 
and seedy. And this was the era in which Peter was writing these words. Marcus Cesaro, uh, the Roman writer, once said that Rome was, I quote, a cesspool with all the sewers of the empire flowing into it. A cesspool with all the sewers of the empire flowing into it. That was Rome. Yuck, right? Yuck. That was Cesaro, a Roman saying that. And he was also put, put to death uh, because he uh, had questioned the authority of Caesar and many other things. So Peter, knowing all this, calls the church to be courageous witnesses for Christ. And what a challenge. What a challenge that must have been for these young baby Christians, right? Just born in the Lord. And Peter's first challenge to the church for them was to, uh, we'll go to look back part of it. Look back. So the rear view mirror, look back. Look back to what God had done for them through his son Jesus. Like perhaps we do at this time every year. We kind of look back in this case in 2017 and, and, and ponder what, what God's done in your life, in your family, in your home, in your relationships, on your job, whatever it might be, in your personal life, right? The things you were battling with, all those things. We look back and we see in the opening passage this very thing. Says Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior have received the faith as precious as ours, right? Who have received in the past a, a faith as precious as ours. And so I find this to be one of the most encouraging introductions in the New Testament. Why? Because Peter's saying that the faith that you and I have today in Christ is just as powerful and just as precious as it was for the apostles, who I may remind you turned their first century on its head, right? It's the same faith. Ephesians 4, 5 says that, right? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So you may be challenged when it comes to such things as exercising regularly or when it comes to singing or, or maybe a talent, an ability. You might be challenged in that way. But we should never feel challenged when it comes to our spirituality. Why? Because all that God gives to anyone, He gives to you. He has not given Billy Graham more than he has given you. Just think of that. There are no favorites in the spiritual economy of God. It's now ours. That is, our knowledge, the Spirit's power, our gifts. It's ours to do with what we will. But when we come into faith, when we come into a relationship with the living God in Christ, we become a man of God. We become a woman of God. Of God. And that means that you and I are truly blessed. If you're a man of God here this morning, you are truly blessed. If you are a woman of God here this morning, you are truly blessed. Nothing is missing or being held back. And so Peter's desire for the Christians he was writing to was that they'd have grace and peace in abundance because of their faith in God's Son. And so as we open our hearts to Christ, He comes in and makes us the kind of man and the kind of woman that He wants us to be. It's a journey. It's a process. It can be hard. It can be terribly hard. 
but there are no exceptions. If we have the Spirit of God in our hearts and the Word of God in our hands, we have all that we need to do whatever God has for us. And He can transform our lives and turn them into something that will make a difference in this world. Turn them into something that will resonate not just only for the temporal, but for eternity as well. Sound good? Sounds good to me. And we need not look any further for an example of this than the Apostle Peter himself. He was writing from experience. Remember when the Lord met him? He said, Peter's response to him was what? In Luke 5, depart from me, Lord. Depart from me. So the goodness and the grace and the glory of God are accosting Peter, a sinner, and Peter's response is, get lost. Just go away. Don't come near me. I'm not worthy. He says, I'm a sinful man. A sinful man, but God worked in his heart. And we all know Peter's missteps, Peter's failures. Listen, God uses people that are so flawed and make mistakes, it makes your head spin. Right? He ain't looking for perfection. You know why? Because it doesn't exist. He chooses failures. Yeah. He chooses people that once denied him. He chooses fallen people still. Right? He's so good. He's so good. And so he comes to Peter and he says, Come after me, Peter. Follow me, Peter. And I will make you fishers of men. Isn't that beautiful? Right? It's beautiful. Peter was blessed and he wanted his audience, the people he was writing this letter to, to remember how blessed they were and to recall all that God had done for them. And uh, look with me at verse 3, if you have your Bible. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. If you like to write in your Bible, you should mark that word. He has given us everything. Everything. Right? Not just some things. Not just the down payment. He's given us everything. And that verb, given, here in the original Greek text means to endow, to bestow. So it is not something we can earn and strive for because it is a gift. It's offered by God. The moment we come to Christ in faith, we are filled with His Spirit and we have all we need. We have everything we need to live a life of godliness and power through Him, Christ who called us according to His own glory and goodness. God wants to glorify Himself in your life. He wants to glorify Himself in your life. He's invested in you because of His Son. He's interested in you. He has a plan for you, right? So we don't be like Peter and say, God, I'm not worthy. No, God has made you worthy through His Son, right? He's got an interest in you. He's got his eye on you. And he wants to glorify himself in your life, not to pass you by and bless others, but not you. Listen, if you, if you listen to that, that's, that's the devil's lie. God's good all the time, and all the time he is good to everyone. God wants you and me to have the mind of Christ. How does that happen? Well, it's not automatic like our salvation is, but the more we spend time with Jesus the more we will become like Him over time. 
We are the company that we keep. Right? And what a challenge in life to become more like Jesus. You know, I think that is a great purpose statement for our lives. Right? Someone says, what's your purpose for your life? I'm to become more like Jesus. That's my purpose. In verse 4, Peter goes on to write, through these, that is, the lat- from the latter part of verse 3, through His glory and goodness, through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world through evil desires. As we said, Rome lasted roughly a thousand years, but the last three or four hundred years were marked by a corrupt society living in decadent sin and darkness. Every empire, it seems, if you study history, every, every empire seems to go that route. There are no exceptions. Once they no longer have to fight enemies and they're um, happy with territory, they become fattened and then they tend to collapse. Rome was no different. It was filled with the worldly pleasures of carnality. And yet against this, Peter promised the believers that they could stand. They could yet stand and live lives of godliness in their day because they participated in the divine nature. Another way to say that is God is inviting us to play along with how He thinks and how He moves and how He lives and what He does. He's asking us to play along with with who He is and what He's doing in this world, right? And uh, we need to do that. And so this must have been, must have been a hopeful message for the early Christians, wouldn't you think, to, to, to hear these words, right? The Christians needed to stand in the midst of a corrupt world power and empire around them. And I will suggest that this is the same challenge for the normal Christian life. It's the same challenge that we have today, right? Heading into 2018, when, when we look at the world around us, we are faced with the same sort of challenge. We no longer have the Romans around us per se, but we have other things that are pressing in upon our faith as well. It's not God's will for us, I believe, to be some kind of fluff living in the Christian life. You know, just kind of like a fluff. We're called to spiritual victory. We're called to stand. We're called to be men and women of God. Do not begin to think that in your life there is an exception, that somehow you're not meant to measure up to God's standard. You know, and just say, well, I just can't. I just can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because it's God empowering you Not you, right? It's God empowering you. God has called you and I to a standard of Christian behavior in the midst of circumstances that we find ourselves in. No matter what's going on in our lives, we're to be like Christ in every one of those situations. Challenge, but we can do it because it's God helping us. He is with us and He will help you and me. One of my favorite verses as a younger pastor when I would preach was to claim this verse. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Whatever you read of righteous right hand in the Old Testament, that's God's power. Right? That's, that's what it means. That's God's power. This is God's promise to you and I today, if we want it. You want it? <laughs> it's your promise to claim. 
And through such precious promises, Peter says, we participate in the divine nature. We get to play along with who God is and what He's doing in this world. Right? God is saying, jump in with me. Let's do this. That's why it's so important to read God's Word. My kids used to ask me. Sometimes uh, I think they still do. Mm. Um, but my kids used to ask me, why, why do we have to read the Bible if we're already Christians? Right? If we're already believers, why do we need to read the Bible? Isn't that for people who don't know the Lord? Right? Well, I always tried to answer, because if you read it, you will be in touch with the promises of God. I got that from Second Peter. You'll be in touch with the promises of God. How are you going to know how to deal with temptation? How are you going to know what to do with anxiety? How are you going to know what to do with a problem of lying? And so on and so forth, right? Reading God's Word. The most important thing we can do each day is to not just take some time to pray, but to also read our Bibles, right? To read our Bibles. Just open them and start reading somewhere. The Psalms, the Gospels, a New Testament letter. Start at the start. Start at Genesis. Whatever. And as you read a chapter, ask yourself, perhaps you've heard these, is there a KV, right? Is there a key verse? Or are there CTs to obey? That is, is there Christian truth to live by? Is there an R, a resolution to your problem? Or is there a P, a promise of God to hold on to and to go in the strength thereof? That is why Peter was essentially trying to convey here in the first chapter, you know, he, he, he was trying to say to the early Christians, look back at all that God has done for you, at all He has provided for you and will continue to provide for you in terms of spiritual resources so that you can stand in this present time of corruption, in persecution and against false teachers, right? And perhaps in your life, over this past year, I don't, I know some of you uh, well. Uh, some, some of you I don't know at all. But that doesn't matter because God knows you more than you know you, <laughs> right? God knows you a lot more. Here's my thing. How many of you over the past year have cried out to God for help? There were times when you couldn't talk to anybody else. I'm talking your wife or husband or your best friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, parent, grandparent, whatever the case, you couldn't talk to anybody else but God about this. Hmm, am I right? Yeah. And was He faithful to you? Or did He say, get lost, I don't have time for you? Don't you realize how big the world is and how many people live in it, how many petitions I get on a daily basis? Did he say, I'm at the Pentecostal church on Thursday, at the Alliance on Friday, I'll be back at the Baptist church on Saturday, come by then. No. (laughs) No, he didn't do that, of course not. You know, a good reason to read the books of the prophets in the Old Testament is to remind ourselves not how much Israel failed God, but how faithful God was to Israel. Right? He's faithful. He's such a faithful God. That's why the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Looking back, forget not 
all His benefits. Listen, if God has been good to us in the past, He will be good to us in the future. He never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He protected, strengthened, guided, upheld us, listened to us, blessed us before, will He not? Will He not continue to do this in the future? Sure He will. We don't know where our lives are going and what turns they'll take, what life will look like a month from now or six months from now or a year from now. But we know that wherever we go and whatever happens to us, God and His promises will go with us. And, and those who have been through tragedies, those who have been through hard times, uh, those are the people that know the most how true that is. That God, um, we don't know why He allows things that He allows, but, but boy, He is faithful to, to minister to those that are going through these things. And they know the most, right? And so this was the message Peter had to these Christians he was writing to. He's saying, look, I'm leaving. Right? He knows he's going to die. And he died under the leadership of Nero. Nero was, uh, was a lunatic. Okay? He, was, he was a loon. And, and, and this man was, was a hammer. And if you fell under his judgment, it was certain death. And Peter knew, uh, I think the Lord spoke to his heart that you are not going to survive this, Peter. This is where it's heading. So Peter says, I'm leaving. Sooner, not later. But you can be strong in Christ and carry on. Look back at all the blessings and expect them in the days ahead. Do not become unglued or unhinged in your devotion to Christ. Let's just look at the last few verses here, verses 5 to 8, and then we'll end. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your goodness um, knowledge, and to that knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, there are seven virtues, seven characteristics um, that Peter lists here that I want to go through very quickly and then we'll end. Okay, so we're going to press on the gas pedal a little bit. Many of us, I think, if I you know, wanted you to do a show of hands, I think every arm would be raised here, right? Many of us, all of us, want to excel for Christ, right? To accomplish more for Him, to make contributions to His kingdom, um, and all that kind of stuff. Coming to Christ is just the beginning, right? There's an old saying, when you come to Christ, you don't get a stop sign, you get a green light. And when you go past that green light, you find this abundant life, right? Life opens up to you, right? It opens up to you. And so Peter is saying, okay, you have faith, you've looked back, God's been faithful. Now look ahead and build on your faith these things. The first one is goodness. How uncool is that? I didn't say cool. Uncool. How uncool is goodness? But really it means moral excellence. Boy, if you want to stand out in the world today, try being morally excellent. Yeah, there's a challenge. It's the desire to make your life count for Christ and to honor the things of God. Then to goodness we're to add knowledge, and this implies moral knowledge, wisdom for what to do. It's one thing to know God's Word. It's another thing to do right by it. And uh, that is our common preeminent challenge uh, that we will take to our graves, right? To not just know the Word of God, but to live out the Word of God. 
So goodness, knowledge, and then self-control. The Christian has to be in command of their wills and impulses. If we walk to gratify the sinful nature, then we'll never lead a truly godly life that is pleasing to God. And we won't master, sorry, and we won't grow in how we could grow. We won't be mature as we could be, right? And perhaps God cannot use us as much as He could. You know, we don't want to live a life that ends in ruin because we, we couldn't control ourselves. Right? where God is not glorified, even if we get into heaven, as they say, by the skin of our teeth. <laughs> you hear the world say, and I cringe every time I hear this, perhaps you do too, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Well, if you read Proverbs and someone tells you to follow your heart, here's your response. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Proverbs says, The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Here, here's what we do. We are to follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit who guards and guides our hearts. Aha, uh-huh, there we go. That's the right thing, right? We follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit who embraces our hearts. No wonder we need self-control in life, let alone the Christian life. To self-control, we add perseverance. It means endurance under adversity. We are to run that race that is the Christian life with perseverance, don't fall over, don't give up, get back up. If we hit a spiritual snag, we keep going. So if we're going to go through a tough time, my brother or sister in the Lord, persevere, right? Persevere, because God is with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. And so we carry on, because a better day is coming. Next we have godliness. Godliness is simply a life that reflects the character of God in the world and it makes a difference, right? It's a committed testimony and witness for Christ. And then we add to godliness, brotherly kindness. If we love God, the command of Scripture is that we must love others. Now that may mean that we may need to forgive somebody before we can truly love them the way God wants us to love them. Am I right? We may need to forgive them. Maybe there's forgiveness that needs to take place if we're to truly love as God does. And listen, I know I know that can be very, very difficult. Right? It can be very hard. But God will help us. And we can do it because He's empowering us. Right? Jesus loved the unlovable. Jesus forgave. Listen, when He was on the cross and He said, Forgive them, Lord, do you think He was saying, Father, it's a good idea, don't you think? No. He forgave the people who murdered Him. He forgave them. And He calls us to love even our enemies. Wow. Finally, we add to brotherly kindness, love. This is the crown of all Christian virtues and values. And as we grow, this is the point. We look back and see all that God has done for us in Christ, all His faithfulness, His constancy, And that helps us to keep looking ahead and to build on the things on our faith that we have with these things, these these righteous virtues. We don't know what's going to happen in 2018, right? We don't know what's going to happen the next five minutes, let alone the next half year. And yet, the God who has guided us from day one, when you gave your heart to Christ, the God that has guided you, 
right then is the same God today who's shutting the light on your path as you move forward in 2018. He's got you and He's got everything that you're going to face. He is Lord over it or He's Lord, or He's not Lord at all. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time that we have together in Your Word. Um, such an encouraging Word that You have promised to pick us up when we fall down, to clean us off when we get messy, to bind up our wounds, and to send us on our way, but not alone. You go with us. We're so thankful for all that You've done for us. Lord, we don't even know how merciful You've been to us. We don't even know. But Lord, as we move ahead, help us to serve You, to make You known individually, corporately as a church body here, to make You known in this community and in our spheres of influence beyond here for Your glory. Oh God. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.